Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And we are your lovely co-hosts. Today, I'm talking about Maybon, and this is actually our last Sabbath episode of our second Wheel of the Year doing this podcast. So, pat on the back for both of us, Shannon. Yeah, we made it. Uh, I'm blown away. So this is episode 96. We're like barreling towards 100. Um, But today I'm going to be talking about milkweed, which is a very good plant for this transitional season. And then Tiamat, which we'll get into a bit more about why I chose to talk about Tiamat today. So I'm so excited about this one and I'm not I'm not gonna say why because I don't want to do spoilers but I know no spoilers (laughs) but before we dive into all of that juicy juicy goodness Shannon when did you feel magical this week oh man so I mean most of you guys know now because I posted the episode super late uh last week was my first full week at my new job which made feeling magical tough uh there's something about like starting a new job where you have to get up at 5 a.m that's just like holy shit everything in my life is gonna change but then I went to Michael's and y'all Michael's hit it out of the park again this year with their Halloween stuff and I bought some really cute shit that I was gonna like bring and do a little show and tell but then I actually hung everything up today so whatever so I did that but then I was at Target yesterday getting cat food and they had this like book on uh tea witchcraft for the modern witch like tea magic and i picked it up and so i'm excited to like break that bad boy open and get into it so i'm just really like settling into the incoming spooky season we're also in the middle of this fucking bonkers heat wave here in california like southern california it's been so hot but it's gonna break next weekend so you know it's one of those times when I'm like this is always that time of year where I'm just like fuck the summer summer needs to die which is a Virgo mood and we'll talk about that later but what about you Nick when did you feel magical well um I will say it has been raining a lot here actually speaking of the broken weather been raining a lot here and just being out walking in the rain the other day it was just so gentle it was like 70 degrees and it wasn't You know, it was that kind of rain where it's not enough to like soak through your shirt, but like you have a few drops in your hair, you know, like a a super light, gentle rain um, at at night. The little moonflowers were blooming. There's this huge bush of moonflowers on a walk that I take regularly and just smelled so good, probably because it was raining, like they were putting out a little extra stank for me and it was just mm. that sounds magical meanwhile my lemon balm i'm like are you going to survive this i don't know it's the, doing the, its the best. poor babies with those heat that heat wave honestly <sighs> I know. my, my it... computer is reading it's 92 degrees right now mm, yeah no i'm unhappy but let's get into this because i think we have some fun hot takes on maybon but we're gonna start by talking about milkweed so This is a big topic, guys, milkweed. So I'm going to try to distill it down, but I wanted to kind of like at the beginning, in case you've lived under a rock, what does milkweed look like? It's the Asclepius genus, which we'll talk about later, but they're perennial flowering plants and they're called milkweed because they produce this latex, like this white milky latex when they're damaged. And I want to put that most species are toxic to humans. And to a lot of other like living species too, things like squirrels, fuck squirrels, um, you know, things that would typically eat plants. Uh, milkweed's toxic to a lot of them. And that's why they're a really great source of uh, nectar for insect and pollinator populations because they're not necessarily decimated by like a hungry deer, like some things. Uh, some research though, I, I thought this was really interesting, has shown that the toxic substance in the latex stuff in milkweed can actually help reduce the impact of a really common monarch parasite which is neat so so, you know. so it's like a little controlled poisoning helps you keep pests at bay 
Exactly, exactly. And we're going to really like specifically talk about monarchs in a minute. Don't fucking rush me. We have to talk about other stuff first, people. Calm down. I'll get to it. But this genus contains more than 200 species, and it's distributed around the world from from Africa all the way to North and South America. So previously, milkweeds belonged to the family uh, Asclepiidaceae, which is now classified as the subfamily Asclepiidoidae. Oh my God, y'all, that that one is rough even for me. Asclepiidoidae. I think that's right. It's the dogbane family, uh, <laughs> uh, which the dogbane family is uh, a Posenaceae, which is like so. There's a lot of D's in that subfamily. Anyway, yeah, so yeah, they're they're really going for it with these. I know with these Nick long to, like, Latin names. Look at it, and it's like uh-huh. sometimes the Latin I can get, and sometimes I'm like. I don't know that anyone can say this. So in 1753, our good friend Carl Linnaeus named the genus after the Greek god of healing, Asclepius. So I thought, though, the most interesting thing that I found out about milkweed doing the research for this is that um, the genus actually has some of the most complex flowers in the entire plant kingdom, like straight up comparable to orchids and their complexity. Who fucking knew? like not not me no no and like if you recall from our coverage of orchids this is a huge deal like the reason darwin was obsessed with orchids is because they're so diverse and the flower structures vary so much but um some of the milkweed like the milkweed flowers almost look like orchids when you get up really close to which like if nothing else i hope that this gives you a new appreciation for milkweeds and also go google and like look at all of the gorgeous flowers and it's easy to miss because they're so small but you got to get up close appreciate but when we think about like the flowers what does the most like typical way that they define a milkweed flower right so it's five petals that reflex backwards to reveal um, a gynostegium which is the reproductive like stem-like thing that you see in orchid flowers and the gynostegium is surrounded by a five membrane corona essentially it kind of looks like small inner like feathery like really thin petals like almost like hairs around the gynostegium and if you're having a hard time thinking about a corona i think passion flower is the easiest way to think about it because they have like those super prominent coronas that almost look like whiskers right that's what a corona is And pollination, kind of like it is with orchids, is really unique with milkweed. So the pollen is grouped into pollen sacs as opposed to individual grains. And the feet or mouth of insects that visit the flower will actually like slip into one of the five slits in each flower. And then the pollinium mechanically attaches itself to the insect so that a pair of pollen sacs is like pulled free when the pollinator flies off. This is assuming that the insect is large enough to pull them away. But if it's too small, the insect can actually get stuck and die, which womp womp. Um, It's Hymenpetra, no, Hymenoptera. Hymenoptera. Hymenoptera, guys, it's Monday. Hymenoptera. Um, So this is like actually the type of insect family this is the, uh, it's a large order that comprises things like wasps, bees, sawflies, and even like big ants. So these are the ones that are the primary pollinators of milkweeds. Interestingly enough, monarchs aren't great pollinators of milkweed, which seems like an evolutionary goof. Like, so they right? just, So they just eat them. They're not They just even, eat them. They just eat them. Cool. Right? Like, okay, monarchs, come on. So Asclepius produce their seeds in pods, and then the seeds themselves are arranged in overlapping rows with a cluster of white silky filament that will carry the seeds on the wind once the pods ripen and split, like, you know, all the dandelions. Um, And if you want to grow milkweed, I'm going to share a recommendation at the end of this segment on where to find, like, there's a great resource for how to find the correct regional milkweed for where you live. But as far as like growing it, they're meadow plants, right? So they're they're pretty straightforward. Um, young milkweed plants, they need plenty of light. So you wanna plant them in full sun locations and like pick the place you want them to live and leave them be. They have really deep root systems. They don't do well with transplanting. Just pick a spot and let them go. 
you can plant them in the spring or the fall, but this is one that I think you should just grow from seed. And if you want to plant the seeds in the spring, you'll need to create like a cold stratification period using the fridge, but really like plant the seeds in the fall. It's the best way to replicate what happens in nature. And like, it makes less work for yourself. And milkweed performs really well in poor soils. So you don't want to fertilize much. I mean, it's, it's like meadow plants, you know, like they're not super needy. This isn't like tending a rose garden. These things will like grow next to a highway. You can mulch your plants with like fine chopped bark or leaf litter, but a lot of milkweeds really like dry soil and they're not gonna like how much moisture is retained when you mulch. Um, you do wanna water them sparingly unless there is a swamp milkweed, which is the opposite of this. Like it likes to stay wet, but you'll know if you're growing swamp milkweed because we'll talk about how to find the right milkweed. So um, at the end of the season, you can harvest the seed pods to control kind of like where the new plants come up or share the seeds with your friends. We're, we're not gonna get a whole lot into like medicinal uses. There is some stuff historically with like the sap for like getting rid of warts and stuff. But I did just wanna like flag that pleurisy root, um, Asclepias tuberosa does have a lot of medicinal uses. It's um, a North American plant. Uh, but the biggest tell for pleurisy root versus like other milkweeds when you're thinking about how to tell it's medicinal is that it produces clear sap instead of that like white milky sap. So it's like in the Asclepias family, but that's that that difference I think is a really clear indicator as to why that one is used medicinally more than the other ones. In general, we don't use a lot of things that produce milky white latex sap for medicine, like in the plant world. So we're not focusing on pleurisy root though. This is a general segment. So let's talk about some magic. Uh, I've seen a lot of folks actually associate milkweed with the moon, which I do see. It's got that like milky white sap, the nurturing way it cares for like pollinators. Milkweed's also associated though with the fire element and Scorpio. And so I love this like fire moon dichotomy, which feels very appropriate for Maybon and Virgo season. I guess also for Scorpios, but I do love that. Like the dichotomy between like something that's associated with the moon and fire, because I'm like, yeah, this is some like raging lady energy. So there's some really cute like wish magic that I see suggested for it, you know, kind of like dandelions because they do have those little filaments that like you can blow the seeds and make a wish. I also saw some really cute suggestions to use them to make like tiny little soft beds for the fae because it has all the like little silky that's, filament in there. That's so cute. Shut up. Right. Um, Maybon, Maybon's also like the perfect time to harvest your milkweed seeds and you can bless them on the Maybon Sabbath before you like plant them. So you can harvest them as a Maybon activity, bless them under the Maybon moon, and then like plant them the next weekend or the next day whenever you have time. And you can also though harvest the flowers and use them at your summer solstice celebration. So it's like you get the flowers in the heat of the summer, the earlier season, and then the fluffy seeds at Maybon. Of course, I think Monarchs and butterflies in general are symbols of transformation, like across cultures. You know, there's that whole, it basically goes from a worm into a butterfly, super cute. So I love the idea also of doing like a good garden meditation, like near milkweed, if you're doing some sort of like transformation magic, how cute. But let's, let's talk about butterflies, okay? Cause we can't talk about milkweed without talking about monarch butterflies. So like the Asclepius genus in general, like they're the host plants for the caterpillars of monarch butterflies. But again, native milkweeds can support a wide diversity of pollinators, but there has been like a significant loss of milkweed specifically in spring and summer monarch breeding areas of the US. And that's what a lot of scientists think is a pretty significant factor in the decline of the monarchs the way that they typically record monarch population is by recording them in the overwintering sites. So those are like here in California and in Mexico. So when they're overwintering is when they do the counts, but they're seeing a lot of like milkweed loss in their spring and summer uh, breeding areas. So in 2008, the Tri-National Commission for Environmental Cooperation put together a really fantastic guide that recommends planting native milkweed species 
but there was also like historically a notorious scarcity of milkweed seed in a lot of the U.S., which also limited efforts to plant more milkweed um, as they were doing like local restoration efforts. Enter the Xerxes Society. So they launched Project Milkweed in collaboration with Monarch Joint Venture to produce new sources of milkweed seed in the areas of the Monarch's breeding range, including California, the Great Basin, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, and Florida. So the Xerxes Society is also doing a lot of work to like raise public awareness, promote people including milkweeds in habitat restoration efforts. So guys, like go to xerxes.org, that's X-E-R-C-E-S.org. And their website has like some great resources on how to find the right regional milkweed for you to plant. They also have other resources on there for how you can like contribute to monarch uh, conservation. They just have like so many resources on there. Also like planting care resources, but I can't stress enough. Like if you're trying to plant milkweed to be helpful for butterflies, you need to make sure you're getting the right one for your region. Like that's kind of a big deal. So that's all I have for milkweed. My sources were of course xerxes.com or xerxes.org, wikipedia, americanmeadows.com, the herbarium, uh, spiralsunherbals.wordpress.com, dryadinthelm.wordpress.com. Um, yeah, and that's that on milkweed. You know, I did want to pipe in here with two things. Um, number one, I did Google milkweed flowers uh, while you were talking about them, and they are really cute and very orchidy. So, right? Big orchid vibes. But I did also want to say, well, because it's like it's a bunch of tiny little flowers. And I think that's mm -hmm. always the thing where it's like the closer you look, you're like, oh, that is a whole little flower in there, huh? Yeah. Um, but also, I did want to say that I had thought for a long time that milk thistle was what milkweed was. And that's not the same thing. Nope. Those are different plants. <laughs> because those because those both grow um, in granberry. Um, yeah. Yeah. Where the milk thistles get like seven feet tall and look yeah. like aliens. Where they'll like end your life. They're uh, they're scary and big. <laughs> they're scary and big. But um also I think the whole like lawns thing is it, like this is another prime example of why lawns are just bullshit. Aw bullshit awful. <sighs> you yeah. Know. You should like, seriously, guys, um, that website that I, I, another one of the websites I mentioned, AmericanMeadows.com has good resources on like, if you have extra property, like try to convert some of it to meadow, if you can, like you're creating these habitats, not just for the insects, but also for like the birds that feed on those things like foxes, owls, like think about all of the little like ecosystems that you support by having like the right plants. And there are things like AmericanMeadows.com where you can like go and make sure that you're doing it in a way that's like regionally appropriate. So you don't plant things that are going to like choke out natives, um, but also so you can plant things that like support the fauna around you. So anyway, fuck lawns. Ew. Fuck lawns. Blech. Anywho, so Mavon part two. This week is our official Mavon episode. And since this is round two of Sabbath episodes, uh, I've been focusing on the history of the Sabbaths. But since this is the, is the official end of our second round of Sabbath episodes, I thought it might be fun to go in the new direction one episode early. And since last Mavon, I did get into the nitty gritty of the history. We went all the way back to Mesopotamian harvest celebrations, which didn't happen at this time of year because that's not how agriculture works in that part of the world, but uh, thematically similar stuff. Um, so this is like a link in description moment because we're not doing the history one this week. Um, do you want to do a little recap though? Maybon is one of the quarter days, which are all kind of more business than pleasure. Yeah. As far as the Sabbaths go, the cross quarter days are like the bonfire days, and those are those are the big parties. The quarter days are really like where we get the business vibe of having four quarters in a year. Um, and yeah, so it's it's 
it's business time. I've got my business socks on, to quote Flight of the Concords. Yeah. Oh, and, and it's the Equinox. <laughs> and it's the Equinox. So here's the thing, though. Maybon as a name and associated mythology for the fall Equinox slash second harvest season holiday can really only be traced back to the 1970s, which is fine, but it hardly conjures up images of the, like, grand ancient magicians the way the other celtic sabbats do okay yeah. and i think i think there's like a branding issue with maybon it just does not get me going okay and it's a bit muddled at times for me personally like what really the purpose of a second harvest festival really is which i'm going to get into later on um but except that there's a lot of apples involved and like maybe it's thanksgiving maybe it's not maybe she's born with it maybe it's maybelline <laughs> So I thought it would be fun, though, to ch to kind of get back to what makes Wands and Fronds different from other witchcraft podcasts, which is the fabulous host. And I think we should talk about what we're doing for Maybon this year and sort of what we're feeling as the season is changing. Uh, because really, I think the Sabbaths are there to remind us of the passage of time and being mindful of how we've spent our time and like how we're planning on spending it going forward. And again, these quarter days are like the business quarters. So we're all about settling accounts and laying out what's best going forward. And again, since I'm honestly not so inspired by the current like textbook confines of Maybon, and since it's basically from the 70s, I think we can absolutely dive in by discussing Maybon's PR problem. Yeah. I just, so I just, I personally feel like the branding is not there the way it is for the other Sabbaths. Like, I do love this time of year, and I think we could be celebrating it better. Yeah. So I, right off the bat, this is the gateway to the dark side of the year. Okay. When Virgo season ends, it is now fall. And yeah, there's, I mean, on that note, there's a reason the mutable signs in the zodiac are mutable because they're during these transitional periods between season, which is why Virgo is our mutable earth sign. It's the end of summer, the beginning of spooky season. That transition yeah. is important. <laughs> That transition is important because literally last month uh, I was having a tropical vacation during Leo's season, and this month I am getting ready to go camping and um, get my flannels out of the closet. Mm. Hopefully, fingers crossed, I can. Um, but I, you know, I think an important note there is yes, gateway to the dark side of the year it should be a spookier Sabbath. Hundo like, like, I'm all about, you know, like, so this whole, like, second harvest thing where it's, like, apples, it's, like, fall, it's, like, not quite Thanksgiving. It's, it's just not, it's just not giving the way, the way that I would like it to. No, because it's not giving in a way it's it's like such a wishy-washy harvest festival it like, really is yeah that's i think that's the problem is it's like the wheel of the year so many of the holidays i think are super important but like maybon i think gets overshadowed by Samhain, which i get Samhain's dope but also like maybon marks the start of this season like Samhain is the culmination of like the veil is thin, shit is spooky, we love it, we're here for it. But like you don't get there without the turning point that is Maybon. Right. I'm like, uh, Maybon is the time to put up your Halloween decorations. Exactly. Exactly. But I also feel like it's like back to school time. For me personally, that's least time. It really is kind of business time as well. But like that's not even like that's not fun. Like we should be absolutely celebrating that summer's fucking over. It's done. It's dead. Yeah. And one of the things, like, on that note, though, that... So one of my Maybon plans is to do decluttering. But I think it's, like, 
because you're about to be hunkering down. Like that's, I think if you switch the context and you think about it as like business time so you can get shit in order so you can just fucking like coast for the holidays. Like that's that's what Maybon's about. It's like, okay guys, like fuck summer, it's done. Everything is pumpkin spice flavored right now. We're like getting ready to have ghosts and witches and stock up on all of our interior decor witchy people because for like a month out of the year, our aesthetic is everywhere. But it's like also, yeah, declutter, get rid of shit. Like put away all of your beach towels, get out your flannel. It's like, but yeah, I think it's, it's the branding issue because yeah, it's just branding problems. Well, and I also, okay, I just bought a bunch of camping stuff. And I'm like, this is the time of year. Again, we always went camping as a family. But it's like, this is the time of year when you start to go doing camping trips. Because it's like, it's finally starting to cool off at night in Texas. And that is when you want to go camping. So for all of us Southern gals, uh, it's camping season. And I think that has a very, like, fall aesthetic. Yeah. It's also like fall planting season. Like once you get to Mavon, which is usually it's between September 22nd and 24th usually, but like really it's like the end of Virgo season is just about where it falls. So it's like in Virgo season, you're starting to get collected. You're getting your shit organized. Then Mavon hits and it's all spooktastic from here on out downtown spooktown but i was gonna say so i am going camping around maybon this year like literally the weekend after so you know a a girl can do what she can do okay yeah but i'm going out to the piney woods and i am making a besom for my house love because i am inspired i was inspired by yours and i'm like "Mm, i'm gonna if i'm going out to the piney woods pine trees give you perfect little broomy twigs for well I guess it's the dry needles but still yeah but I mean you know it's a basin I'm I'm gonna go out there I'm gonna bring a little I'm gonna bring my wheel of twine and I'm gonna I'm gonna make a basin out of uh fresh pine so I love that I love that one of the things that I'm wanting to do because we have a bunch of wood and fire starters is try to actually do a bonfire for Maybon It's one of my goals because I know that technically it's not a bonfire holiday, but you know what guys, we make the fucking rules. (laughs) You absolutely do make the rules. And if they could just make up that Mabel, like they, the Celts, the Celts did celebrate the wheel of the year and the quarter and cross quarter days. We don't know all of the ones that they did. Mabon is one where it's like, this is where it falls. Surely they did something. Second Harvest Festival sounds good to me. It's for Maybon. This, I mean, it's like if we were in the room in the 70s, how would we have done it? This is my next part of my Maybon coverage because I wanted to talk about some, like if I had been in the room, maybe what the different versions of Maybon could have been. Okay. So I was thinking, I have been really drawn to the Norse side of things again recently. The other night, okay, it's because I fell asleep the other night and I was listening to BBC and then they played uh, a section of Der Nubelungring, the opera, which is the part cool. that's like, there's just the part where it's like, yeah, the flight of the Valkyrie. Yeah, the flight of the Valkyrie. And I actually thought that like, so Eden is the guardian of the apples that keep the Vanir immortal. So the Vanir are the Norse gods. So we have, you know, Frey, Freya, Odin, Thor, Loki, the whole, the gang, the gang Balder before his ass got killed. Um, the gang, the gang's all here, right? They're all immortal. She's got the apples, and apples are kind of like the fall flavor du jour. You can't have an early fall holiday without it being all about apples. So we have yeah. this Norse deity, this Norse goddess, Eden, who is like the guardian of the very thing that keeps the gods immortal, the apples. And actually, there's the story of her, which is that Loki turned her into a, a nut. 
and flew her to a giant that he, I guess, owed money to. Yeah, I forget. And, he, he had, like, made a deal with the giants. Right. And that was, like, what they wanted. And that was what they wanted. And then all the gods are, like, dying. So then they, I guess, they turn her into a nut and bring her back. They're uh, all getting old, and they're just like, what the fuck? Like, crow's feet? What is this? Right. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but then, you know, I was like, so that mythology, that lore, I think, would be cool as, like, a backdrop for this time I of year. That. I feel I'm like, like you could... I feel like make if you were caramel apple pie, make a caramel apple pie. You make a with a with a walnut topping. Oh fuck! Here we go, guys. Look, we're making decisions here on how to celebrate it better. Okay, so we're making an apple pie. We're including walnuts. I was thinking if you wanted to do like a game, like I I even came up with like a game that you could play at your at your Edenalia. Um, so like because there's they're like the giants are like stealing the apples that make you immortal. Maybe you could have like a game um, where there's, where like the main thing is to like steal an apple or, or, or the, or, or a walnut. So the other team is protecting the walnut. One team is protecting the apple. Um, I, I also love the idea of doing like an apple pie in the style of King's cake, where there's like one full walnut in there oh and whoever gets the walnut is eden yes love it love it love it and then yes i think uh, like you could have beautiful apple based centerpieces gorgeous delicious Bur- cinnamon burn a lo- scented cinnamon scented burn a log of apple wood oh my god fucking roast some meat over apple wood like an apple wood roasted pork loin yeah oh my god i'm hungry can you tell uh okay but i was but i was also thinking it would be cool to do like a demeter centered holiday yeah because persephone's about to go bye-bye and hear me out yes because persephone is about to go bye-bye but also demeter was the goddess that taught mankind how to do an agriculture yeah kind of a big deal and I think also what you see a lot in like Maybon altar offerings and stuff is like sheaves of wheat and like corn husks and shit. And I feel like that is very big Demeter type energy. Yeah. I also, and like, you know, uh, this is going to feel cliche for Wands and Fronds, but like, we're also coming up on hunting season. Yeah. I mean, so this we could, could be, Artemis. This could, this could be time to give an early shout out to Artemis, but no, no, no. I did want to. I did want to talk uh, just a little bit more about why I think Demeter yeah, would have been ahead. a good option here, because I do feel like we're kind of on like a Greek thing. Yeah, yeah. Lately, but also I think Demeter is cool because Demeter, whilst also being the inventor of agriculture or the one who gifted it to mankind, at the very least. Also, a big part of, like, the Eleusinian Mysteries, which is, like, ooh, you know, like, all of these deep, like, ritualistic sort of, I think that's kind of spooky, where it's, like, a secret society, and you have to be initiated. Yeah, and you're all wearing cloaks. And everyone, yeah, it's, like, very cloak and dagger. And Demeter is at the center of all of it. So yeah. I I feel like in this kind of like gateway to spooky season, like because when you do spend so much time inside and you're like hunkering down for the year, that's when you kind of like encounter all of these like deep thoughts and like shadow work and like, you know, like the big immovable pieces of your personality are so much more apparent when you're um, with yourself a lot more than you usually are. Yeah. And I feel I, like. I think that's meter- a good point. Like Demeter is kind of that energy and like doing shadow work. I feel like Demeter is like a good person to call on. So, but I also, speaking of Flight of the Valkyrie, I wanted to talk about why this could also be a cool thing for like Freya, because Freya also has that agricultural connection 
like if you die and go to Freya's part of the afterlife, it's like it's not Valhalla where everyone's fighting. It's kind of more like farming and yeah, because Valhalla is for warriors. The end. Like well, and 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 Freya's realm is sort of also for warriors. Everyone's a warrior. And, um, but it's for warriors who like to come home and farm when they're not warrioring. Which is great. I mean, on that note, like I, just to back up for a brief second, because I'm realizing we could also, I love Artemis, y'all. We love Artemis here. So I'm like, I'm hung up on this because hunting season kicks off at the end of August into early September. We have harvest festivals. Do we have a hunting festival? Yeah, it's like, what is Maybon? Why do we need a second harvest festival? When it we could make it a hunting festival I for do Artemis. Like that. Well, and but what I was thinking too, as like a a kind of good combo there, I feel like with with Freya being the agriculture, but then also being like the leader of the Valkyries, who like, yeah. but also kind of like the uh, the double entendre of like harvesting kind of being like because the valkyries choose who dies in battle and like you pick which squashes and pumpkins uh are going to get cut off the vine oh okay but also i'm gonna like get big valkyrie energy when i'm harvesting pumpkins this fall yeah like right? today i slay you <laughs> today <laughs> i slay you <laughs> today is the day that you meet fate <laughs> in the name of of my garden shears in the name of my garden shears. Um, but one one last, like, sort of cultural touchstone that would not be appropriate if I was in the Maybon meeting, um, but which I think the idea of is very cool, is the Wampanoag tribe here in North America. They had a cranberry festival, which was their second harvest festival. So... The first harvest festival, I think, is when you harvest the first ear of corn. I believe so. And the cranberry festival is when you have harvested the last cranberry, which is sometime between September, October, or November, depending on the season. I Cranberries are fucking weird. Um, yeah, I don't understand cranberries, but I do love a cranberry orange sauce. Yes. But so their whole thing was that it's really like this half and half kind of thing because it's not summertime where you're just walking through fields of abundance and just eating things right off the vine. Everything is being stored now. Your stores are full, but there's nothing more going in. So yeah. it's like it's like you're excited because you're happy, you're thankful even because your stores are full, but you're also a little scared because you're like, that's it. That's, that's the last. all she wrote. That's all she wrote. The fields are now barren. I have what I have. So it's, it's time to like get the spreadsheet going for the winter time, months. Yeah, really time to get the spreadsheet going. And basically like hunger, hunger is coming. Yeah. And I was like, that's kind of scary. Like that's, a, that's bleak. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it, it is. I mean, and you know, sometimes times are good. Sometimes times are not so good. And if you really had to depend on like one certain piece of land to feed you through the winter, like. Yeah. And you had a heat wave like this that has killed like literally half of my plants. My honeysuckle has lost almost all of its leaves. Like we And we hate, that. Yeah, we, we hate that. We, we hate that. So circling back around the Maybon PR problem I'm all in favor I think it could be a spookier Sabbath I feel like it is the gateway to spooky season I think there is a certain amount of like acknowledging the bleakness of winter that is it's 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 good to be prepared you know like I think that that being part of this Sabbath is still important I just don't like the branding of it like it could be spookier it could be funner um so yeah yeah speaking speaking of bringing in sort of like a dark goddess element I think this is like a perfect transition to it your is. other to your other topic this week yeah so when Nick and I were planning this like 
we wanted to talk about Mavon in like a different lens because I think both of us, and like, I have to say as a Virgo, as someone who like Mavon falls like right at the end of my season, it's like, what the fuck? Like we can do better. And so like the fall equinox, right? Like that's like when the earth is slowly starting to die, right? Like it's only getting darker from here on out. Like you're not going to be getting any new crops in the ground. You know, I mean, it's like, this is kind of it. If you haven't started it, you're not going to have it till next year, which is why, you know, I think again, in my not so humble opinion, Virgos are low key, the spook Queens of the Zodiac Mm -hmm. because we kill summer. We say, fuck you, summer. This is bullshit. We're done. And Mm -hmm. Maybon caps off our season we are like the heralds of the death of summer. Um, and I, I love this like movement into crone season, right? Because it's like the days are getting shorter. I think fucking God, it's getting cooler. We're about to be moving inside. We're getting into sweaters. We're like getting cozy. So I think that, you know, this is a really perfect time of the year to think about doing some rituals to like welcome the like dark mother, dark goddess archetype back in, uh, get cozy with Hecate, with Persephone, with Tiamat, with the Valkyries. Um, so also like give big ups to your spooky Virgo friends because everyone like focuses on how spooky Scorpios are, but they're just like, they're just Valentine's babies. Let's not pretend. Oh my God. Thank you for acknowledging it. It really is so basic to be conceived on Valentine's Day. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, let's talk about Tiamat though, because I just, I love the idea of using Mavon as your like spooky kickoff. And like one of the things that I want to do this year is like really do for me some work with Hecate, I think. So, you know, do with that what you will. But Tiamat, Nick, we're going back to Mesopotamia. You're welcome. Uh, Tiamat is the Mesopotamian uh, Mesopotamian goddess associated with the primordial chaos and the sea. So she's primarily known to us from the Babylonian epic Enuma Eilish. Uh, I also love that she is often described as, and I quote, the glistening one. That's How my cool new nickname. That? That, that's right? literally my new nickname. <laughs> the glistening one. Uh, Nick's going to be changing his Twitter handle. Um, so she's she's a goddess of duality, though, right? Like one half creator goddess, one half primordial chaos. And I just feel like this, to me, embodies Virgo season, right? It's like you have like the end of the creation season where it's like we are harvesting, but also one half of this like primordial darkness and chaos, So Tiamat is the dragon woman of bitter waters, and she marries Apsu, the god of the fresh water. And they get down to Bone Town, and they're given birth to all sorts of monsters, storms, other creatures that today (laughs) only exist in your nightmares. Uh, And then eventually they give birth to the gods, who proceed to take up residence in another part of the universe to essentially do housekeeping. And of course, if we know anything about the Mesopotamians, it's that they take their sleep very seriously. And these new gods are fucking rowdy and they're keeping Apsu up and he's not able to get his like solid eight. So Apsu comes to Tiamat and he's like, look, you brought them into this world. You can take them out. And she refuses because she's like, what? You're fucking, that's too much, too much. Those are our kids. But the gods learned about this conversation and they understandably weren't happy that Apsu was trying to get their mommy to kill them so after that uh they kill they kill Apsu they like lop off his head in revenge so uh Tiamat's furious which uh, yeah and she yeah same because you know what he was fucking tired and I also get cranky when I'm tired so she teams up with her oldest son and uh, they wage war against the other gods. And it culminates like in this like ultimate battle between her and the god hero Marduk. And at the culmination, the hero Marduk is swallowed by the enormous dragon. And there are a couple of variations on the story. So in some versions, you know, 
she eats Marduk and becomes like a civilizing fish mommy to Earth. And then according to other versions of it, Marduk kills his mother in the battle and then her body falls to the lower universe where one half becomes the dome of heaven and the other half becomes becomes a wall to contain the waters. So it's there's a couple of like, there's two pretty different versions there with what happens to Tiamat. But interestingly, there is actually a trace of her in the Bible which I wanted to point out because I thought this was fascinating. So in Genesis chapter one, verse two, when they're talking about God hovering over the deep at the beginning of the Bible, um, the deep is translated from Teham, which is the Semitic form of Tiamat. So literally the abyss that God is hovering over in the beginning of the Bible is Tiamat, which is like metal and super dope. And also, I just love the idea that there's like low-key some Mesopotamian ancient goddess energy right up there in chapter one of the Bible. Like, well, I will say, um, and you know, I feel like we talk about the magicians too much, but there is that sort of scene in the magicians where like the tiger goddess from the old world dies and Ember and Umber, which are like the gods in Fillory, wash up on shore. And there's always like an older, stronger, more primordial, like more ancient thing. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's been a minute since we've talked about the magicians. So y'all can just deal with it. Um, I, <laughs> I do, though, like I said, I think her duality makes her a great goddess to honor on Mavon, right? Because it really is kind of like these two sides of the world, like creation and destruction. There's light and there's dark. You don't have one without the other. So there's some really great, like, obvious low-hanging fruit offerings, like obviously dragons, representations of dragons or serpents. I think bowls of water are also great, like offerings and representations, black candles, anything like dark representing the abyss. There's there's actually like relatively little about her out there, like we unfortunately often have to say when it comes to Mesopotamian deities. So I would say like, if you want to work with her, it's one where you should do some meditation, get to know her yourself. But But because she is like such an ancient and powerful goddess with kind of an intense temperament, I would like just use a little bit of caution and respect when approaching her. And I definitely don't think I would recommend this as like your first deity out the gate if you've never worked with a deity before. Because there also there also aren't any known ancient cults to her, which tends to be the case for these like primordial chaos deities like across cultures. But the Enuma Elish was uh, read on the fourth day of the Babylonian New Year's celebration. And there was a reenactment uh, of the battle between Marduk and Tiamat that was like part of the festivities. So, you know, she obviously had a really important place in their history, but there weren't cults to Tiamat. But I wanted to end this because, Nick, I read this suggestion and I was like, holy fuck, this is for Nick. Uh, to do saltwater scrying in particular, scrying over ocean water. So like, oh, picture this, yeah. you're on a boat in the middle of the ocean, you lean over the edge and you stare into the moonlit ocean water to scry. Oh yeah. Like fucking epic and romantic. But that's all I have for you today. So my sources were learnreligions.com, worldhistory.org, journeyingtothegoddess.wordpress.org, uh, aminoapps.com, and wikipedia.com. Love, love, love wikipedia.com. Also, I feel like greekgodsandgoddesses.net also hasn't gotten a shout out this episode, but I was definitely on there a few times this week doing my little bit, so... I think I they it. should they should sponsor us. But hey, you guys, it's um almost time for the Terrascope. And um we still haven't done our asks. Uh Wands and Franz Pod on everything. Like, review, subscribe. There we go. I mean, you guys get it. Yeah. L links are in the description if you need anything. Links in <laughs> and don't I and honestly do hit us up on Instagram. Um, I do love a, a little fan mail every now and then. Yeah, it's it's a good thing. It's a, it's a good thing. Okay, but Terroscope. Are y'all are y'all ready for Terroscope? Uh Pisces. Oh hey girl.
Anywho, I do I do love that Pisces in this um, Zodiac Tarot deck is a little chonky. Yeah. Um, and just like, just like having a good time. Little squoosh. Little 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 squoosh. Okay, but for you guys, actually, I got the three of coins. Oh, and your dragon deck. Which and I'm I'm very I'm Tiamat. Very Tiamat. And you guys, we are seeing here that you guys are in a collaborative situation which is I'm truly loving for you and really like the only advice here is like you should be hearing everyone out in these kinds of like collaborative situations you never know where the next great idea is going to come from and you know like people need to hear you out too mm. so make your make your voice heard if you feel like you have something to bring to the table because this is this is a group effort and and like both. what a what a perfect message as we're like coming up on the week of the Pisces full moon. Yes. So to all of all of our little Pisces babies out there, lift lift up your voices, like like hear and be heard this week. Be a star. Be a star. You're a so, star, baby. You're a star. Well, I will say, you know, it's like I feel like. Pisces can be a bit uh, space cadet. So I feel like the idea of like listening to other people. Yeah, like getting out of your daydream mode. Yeah, like that. I think that could be the pertinent advice here, truly. Yeah, there's a real world out here, my fellow space cadets. <laughs> and I'm saying that with no judgment because I get it. <laughs> but yeah, so to all of you, Lovely, lovely Maybon ladies. What do we say to the Maybon bitches? Oh, to you spooky Maybon bitches. Blessed be, bitches. Blessed be, bitches. Goodbye. Bye now. It could be as lit as Yule, which is another one of the quarter days, 